down in the grip of oppression I fought for my liberty I paid with the blood of my people Freedom has never been free Now my door's always open To dreamers and friends But when I'm attacked I protect and defend Because my name is America Welcome, this is Karen Schoen. You're listening to the Prism of America's Education brought to you on the America Out Loud talk radio network with my wonderful sponsor, the, the Florida Citizens Alliance, and the wonderful job that they are doing in education. Folks, if you have a problem in education in your state, join the alliance, see what they're doing, and copy it for your state. Uh, We have a big push for choice, but again, choice is a location. We have to pay attention to what are actually in the books. What are our children reading? And the Alliance is picking up a lot of that. This has been some week, folks, and over and over and over again, I keep on hearing, this is unprecedented. This never happened before. No group has ever stormed the Capitol. No, they stormed uh, recently. They stormed the Supreme Court. Remember that one? Uh, During Kavanaugh's uh, nomination. So all of the things that we are seeing we have seen before. This is a playbook that keeps on getting regurgitated over and over again. Why? They focus on famine. They focus on food. They focus on energy. Why? Because they believe that if you control the energy, you control the country. If you control the food, you control the people. And this is the same thing that they have been doing year after year after year. And yet, You will hear night after night, this is unprecedented. It's going to destroy our democracy. It has never happened in America before. Lie, lie, lie. And when I hear things like that, my antenna goes up and I say, what person do I know that can bring the history lesson home and show everyone that this is something that has been repeated over and over and over again? And my friend Bill Federer has agreed to take up that charge and challenge. Bill, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. And your information is always so critical. But do you agree these things have happened before? Yeah, well, on March 1st, 1971, the U.S. Capitol was bombed. It was (gasps) an insurrection. And it was done by Bill Ayers and the Weather Underground. Bill Ayers, those of you know, that he launched Barack Obama's career. So after he bombs the U.S. Capitol in 1971, they bombed the Pentagon on May 19th, 1972, the Weather Underground. And um, and so uh, he goes on to become a, a professor at the University of Chicago. And then he goes on to launch Barack Obama's political career. And I'm sure, for his house. I'm sure he spent a lot of time in jail, right? <laughs> None. And um, then another one of the Weather Underground is the one who trained Patrice Cullors and uh, Alicia Garza 
and um, uh, Opal Tometi, and they, they, they went on to found a Marxist organization called Black Lives Matter. And they said, we are trained Marxists. And they got trained by the people that did the insurrection and set off bombs in the U.S. Capitol, the Weather Underground. Uh, and again, Bill Ayers, who launched Barack Obama's uh, career. And so, uh, but it's interesting that uh, in the 1970s, there was a organizer named um, Saul Alinsky. And Hillary Clinton did her senior thesis at Wellesley College on Saul Alinsky. And Saul Alinsky was also the one with the or community organization movement in Chicago that uh, influenced Barack Obama. And um, so Saul Linsky in the book, Let Them Call Me Rebel, talked about how he was at the Tulane University and some students in 1972 said they wanted to uh, protest George H.W. Bush, who was then ambassador to the United Nations for Nixon. They were wanted to protest his talk because he uh, supported Nixon's Vietnam War policies. And the students said, well, we're going to go and protest. And, and Solinsky says, no, that's not very imaginative. He says, go dressed up as KKK members. And whenever George H.W. Bush says anything in support of Nixon's Vietnam War policies, stand up and cheer and hold up placards that say the KKK supports Bush. And he says, this is what they did with great effect. And so the idea of dressing up as faux supporters at a rally for the purpose of disrupting the rally uh, is something that is part of the, the Democrat playbook. And, um, and so let's say there's a rally in, in maybe Washington, D.C., and there's a whole bunch of peaceful people coming. Well, what they do is they, they go on up there and they put on T-shirts to pretend like they're supporters, but they want to do disrupt and they want to cause violence so that the supporters of uh, the that particular president can get maligned. And it's a staged event. And these are things that have been done for 70 years uh, in the Cold War, where we would want to overthrow communist leading countries and install a pro-West leader. And the KGB would want to overthrow West-leaning leaders and replace them with pro-Soviet, behind-the-iron-curtain type of leaders. And so these tactics of how you go into a country, you infiltrate your opponent's support base, you cause riots, and their goal is to have atrocities blamed. So, so when in, in taking over Iran, they would stage violent acts but make it look like the leader in 1953, it was Mazadek who was leaning toward the Soviet Union orbit. And uh, America's CIA person was Kermit Roosevelt Jr., the grandson of Teddy Roosevelt. And uh, he goes to, uh, to Tehran, and he's an expert in foreign languages, and he recruits mobsters and gangsters. And what do they do? Violence. But they, they co-opt the media with bribes and threats to blame Mazadek for all the tensions, all the divisions, all the violence. And when the country gets stirred up enough at Mazadek, they simply... They co-opt leaders in the military. Uh, they find weak links and people in the military that they could be bribed and 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 threatened. And they um, they put Mazarek under house arrest, locked him away for the rest of his life where he died. And they replaced him with the Shah, who loved America because we put him in. But these tactics were used by both sides. So you had um, the 
Brezhnev and Khrushchev helping Yasser Arafat to start the PLO to sow division in the Middle East. Can you identify different groups, pit them against each other to sow division. Uh, they helped Castro to take over Cuba, Brezhnev and Khrushchev. Uh, they, uh, Brezhnev and Khrushchev helped uh, Che Guevara start FARC in Colombia and ELN in Bolivia. To do what? To identify different groups is called critical theory. You pit the groups against each other, it causes violence. You commit violence, the one group commits violence that makes it appear that the other group did it. And then you use it as an excuse to go after the other group and malign them and arrest all their leaders and all their supporters. And, and then you, you eradicate them and lock them away indefinitely in, in jail. And then you install your puppet leader. Which is, isn't this exactly what they're doing today, Bill? Oh, my goodness. What a surprise. Yeah. yeah, An an interesting um, quote from um, Marco Rubio. And he was commenting on Fox News just last month after the Mar-a-Lago raid. And he said, uh, this is shocking. But in Latin America and many other countries around the world, here's what happens. A group takes power. One of the first things they begin to do is to persecute and go after the, their political opponents. When the supporters of their political opponents begin to complain, they begin to target and criminalize opposition. The next thing you're going to see, because it's the playbook, is going to be that the people who are supporters of Donald Trump or just conservatives are going to begin to get labeled as potential insurrectionists and harassed by law enforcement. So you're going to have pro-life people getting their houses raided. Uh, I mean, the most peaceful people in the world are pro-life people. They, they want to like protect little babies and they're out there, um, you know, kneeling and praying. And now uh, Biden started a Department of Reproductive Health Task Force uh, to go after pro-life people. And, and wants to have them spend decades in jail. These are family people. It, they're, they're criminalizing opposition. And they're not going to stop until they have a totalitarian dictatorship. But the irony is how you co-opt the message. So, uh, you know, a generation ago, the, uh, the liberal side did not like totalitarian government. But today, the liberal side likes totalitarian government. Back then, they were they were for freedom of speech. Now they're against freedom of speech. They want to cancel anybody that, that wants to express freedom of speech. It's an interesting phenomenon of how they were able to co-opt the left. Even Bill Maher noticed this, and he criticized them, saying how, you know, it used to be the liberals were the ones that stood up for individual freedom, but now the individuals are one for, for complying with the state. If the state says wear this, they wear it. If the state says inject this in your body, they inject it in the body. It's like, and whatever the state says, and it's like, but but I, I put together a book. The title of the book is Socialism, the Real History from Plato to the Present. And the subtitle is How the Deep State Capitalizes on Crises to Consolidate Control. And so I go through all these different scenarios in history of the intentional creating or capitalizing on crises to get people into fear and panic so that they'll surrender their country's control. You know, Bill, one of the things that I think is missing today as you're talking, I'm a child of the 70s, and the liberals, you're absolutely right, they were against all of this. They were, we were protesting the government, we were protesting war, we were protesting uh, inflation, we were protesting about, we protested about everything. So yes, there was a faction that was riotous, but we also had a media and we had um, many recording artists that in their songs, the protesting would come out and they would be singing a simple song of freedom. 
I like to listen to the 70s music on the weekend because it reminds me of the way the liberals used to be when they were protesting the things that made a difference. Instead of protesting things like allowing uh, people to have babies and carry them through term or change their gender or other ridiculous nonsense. But I think that piece is missing today as uh, the major recording artists, although lately... Lately, we have a few that have flipped over and come over. But do you see that where we're missing the, the um, I don't know, I guess it was the tie-in. Because when we would go to an event, we would sing these songs. And we were protesting with the songs that were being written at that time. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting how that change has happened. So one of the chapters in my book, I go through how marketing of products was has been co-opted to market ideologies. Uh, in the 1800s, they would list everything about a sewing machine in a Sears catalog and Wells Fargo wagon. And you would buy a product because you knew a lot about the product. And then in the early 1900s, there was a marketing a person named Edward Bernays. And he realized that you don't have to say anything about what's in a product. You just make it look like everybody's using it, like keeping up with the Joneses. And this phenomenon where people will buy something because they see other people having it, he put into magazine advertising. And so one was Crisco. Nobody knew what was in Crisco. They didn't tell you. They made up a fake word called vegetable-based, but nobody knew what that meant. And uh, they had these magazine ads that make it, made it look like everybody's using it, everybody's happy, delicious food. It was so successful of an ad campaign, it, it put out of business the lard industry, right? Lard, they used to make soaps and candles. And, and so, um, you know what's in Crisco? It's cottonseed oil. So in the deep south, they'd harvest cotton, have mountains of these black mucky seeds that they'd mush into mucky black industrial oil that they would use in factories and machinery. Nobody ate that stuff. But somebody had the idea of bleaching it, putting it in nice containers with an ad campaign, and we've all eaten it. And so Edward Bernays uh, even talked about women's shoes. He said, women go into a department store and think they're picking out shoes. They're not. Marketing executive picked out the shoes for them and paid the actress to put the shoes on and paid the photographer to take the picture and paid to have it in a magazine ad campaign. And the ladies buy the magazine, see them, and they want them. He goes, in this way, the women are controlled in this fashion area of their lives. You are so right, Bill. I remember that in the late 70s and early 80s, I had a handbag and accessories business. And I remember saying to my partner, isn't it amazing? We are picking the colors and the fabrics and the styles that women will use throughout the next season, because we always had to be two seasons ahead or a season ahead. And here we were determining what women will wear. Unfortunately, we became victims of Ronald Reagan's offshoring and outsourcing. And all of a sudden, instead of us being in all of the major stores, we were copied and our bags were on the street selling for half price. Uh, the Koreans came here, they took pictures, they went back and copied the stuff. That was what outsourcing meant. 
I was amazed as the selections that we made were approved by so many and the orders started coming in and we were elated. And then I realized how much influence we had on the fashion industry. And this is exactly what is going on right now in our country through the media. It's not just fashion, but they take that influence and they use it against us. I remember saying that they're really not getting a choice because all they're doing is getting a choice of what we want. So how is that a choice? But unfortunately, that came to a crashing end at the crash of 87, and that's history. But I do remember us choosing for the women, for the fashion, for the next season, which is exactly what's going on now. And they don't even know it. And so uh, Edward Bernays writes a book called The Engineering of Consent. So in America, we're government from the consent of the governed. But what if you could engineer the consent of the governed. He says, manipulation of the opinion of the masses is an important element in democratic society. He says, those who manipulate this unseen mechanism constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of the country. And so we say, oh, the, the people are going to vote for it. Well, who determines what the people know? And so that's why there's this movement to want to control all of the media all of the social media, all of the main networks, they want to silence any alternative voices because they know if they can control what the people hear and the people think, they're controlling the country. So Edward Bernays influenced somebody, Noam Chomsky, who wrote a book, Manufacturing Consent. These tactics have been perfected. They are used against us also in media but also in education. So there's been this move. You know, let's look at education has moved from academic achievement to behavioral modification. And I saw that when I was teaching and they started changing the names of classes and funneling history, civics, government, all of those classes that were so important so that people knew their rights and knew what, how the government worked. And they made it social studies and brought in all of the psychology programs and infiltrated the history with the psychology. Is that what you're talking about? Because I remember that happening. Yeah, yeah. It used to be called Western Civilization or Western Civ. And Western Civilization can be summed up in one word, individual. That you have rights as an individual. That you have a worth as an individual. And that all the individuals are equal. There's no hierarchy of uh, you're friends with the king, you're not friends with the king. But the rest of the world, it's group. You're a, your worth is your identity with a group. And Islam, it's the ummah, the community. And if the group likes you, your worth goes up. If your daughter embarrasses you in front of your group, you'll, they'll murder their own daughter. In Asia, it's called honor-shame culture. And if the group honors you, your worth goes up. But if, but if you're shamed in front of your group, that's why they say, you know, the, when we started having business over in the Asian countries, they say, never point at somebody in a boardroom. You know, like you you single them out and tell them that they did something wrong and you say it in front of their, their peers. They'll go out and commit suicide because <laughs> they're shamed in front of their group. What they want to do is to move us from Western Civ, where you have a worth as an individual, and get it to the place where your worth is tied up with the groups you belong to, the intersectionality. So that's the, it's a gang mentality. 
and it's manipulated by the person who controls the the game. um, You know, I saw that happening also when they started changing the vocabulary and we became Black Americans, Jewish Americans. By putting America second, they took away the main group and made people part of the individual group. So rather than everybody saying I'm an American, the first thing they say is I'm a Jewish American. Well, I'm an American first and I'm a Jew second. And I think that was part of the cultural change that they were driving at. What do you think? Am I right? Yeah, yeah. So it's called critical theory. And Karl Marx came up with the idea of um, going into a country, identifying all the groups economically, the proletariat versus the bourgeois, which is the working class against the business owners, ethnically, Bosnians, Croats, Serbs, economically, uh, racially, uh, religiously, Sunni, Shia, Orthodox, doesn't matter. You'd break them into groups and then you would call some groups victims and other groups oppressors, haves and have nots. And then you would pit them against each other. And then you would go from criticizing each other to outbreaks of violence against each other to actual fighting against each other. And once there's, there's fighting and people start dying, then people are emotionally involved and they give up their logic. It's like, I don't want to talk about logic when I had a friend that just got killed by the other side. And and so once you're at that level, then the population can be easily manipulated because it's, it's, you're out of the logic realm. You're into the pure emotion uh, and emotions. Once people invest emotionally in a viewpoint, then it's impossible to change them. And, um, so that's what they do. And, and so they would go into countries uh, in the Cold War and do this over and over again. There was a Soviet defector named Yuri Bezmenov, and he said, goes through four stages. He says the first stage is you have to get people to identify with their subgroups. Um, but he says this takes a generation. You infiltrate the education, you, you infiltrate Hollywood, and you would in, you know invite the the people that are the movie producers to the socialist parties. And, and then you move into music, then you move into the pulpit and you call it social justice, or you call it liberation theology. Then you move into education and, and you, and you, and he says, this takes 20, 20 years, it takes a generation uh, because that's how long it takes to brainwash an entire generation. He says, the second stage is you cause the country to become financially irresponsible and begin to bankrupt them financially and then bankrupt their military and then bankrupt. He says, the third thing is you have a incident, a crisis, an individual that's killed in an unjust manner and you fan it into a flame that sweeps the country and gets everybody into this panic mode. And then you do your coup or your rigged election. And then you have a period of normalization where everybody gets used to the new leaders being in charge and you having less freedom than you have before. And then you repeat the cycle, you know, it's like wash your repeat. It's like you, you, you do a crisis resolution, but every resolution entails giving up your freedom to the state. Mao Zedong called it the continual revolution theory. <laughs> you don't yeah. just do a revolution overthrow the country. You continually have crises and every new crisis, people surrender a little more of their freedom to the state. That is exactly what we see going on today. They took George Floyd, who had absolutely no uh, 
reason to become a hero, a martyr. And that's what they did. They made him into a martyr because he was killed unjustly. Whether or not he would have died from the fentanyl that he had was consuming, we will never know because they don't want to hear that part. They just want to hear that uh, Derek Chauvin was the one who killed him. So we will never know the truth of that. But here they made a martyr out of a drug addict who never should have been a martyr. And this is what you're talking about, isn't it, Bill? Yeah, yeah, I am. Um actually talked to former CIA guys and they said that they, um, they said, I hate to admit it, but we would go into villages like in Central America or like Africa and, and set fire, fire to the village and make it look like the communists did it. And then all the villagers would come to us and say, help us against the communists. <laughs> yes. and, um, but he says the big picture was we didn't want the country to fall into the communist orbit. So you know, the ends justifies the means, uh, you know, because we still wanted them to remain in the free world orbit. And, you know, but but these are tactics that have been used. Matter of fact, they, they go back to the Bible. And so um, the word devil in Greek, diabolos, means to divide. And so the devil tried to divide heaven, right? He had his will and it wasn't God's will. And and then he divided in the garden with Adam, Blame, and Eve and Cain, Kill, and Abel. But one interesting story is when uh, Israel for 400 years had no king. It was called the Hebrew Republic, but they almost lost it. So you had Gideon. He defeats 100,000 Midianites. They offer for him and his, and his sons to be king. And he says, no, he says, the Lord is your king. So good for him. Um, but Gideon has an illegitimate son named Abimelech, and he wants power. And so he goes to the town of Shechem and he engages in identity race politics. And uh, he says, is it better for you that all the sons of Gideon reign over you? Reign over you. Remember also that I'm your flesh and your bone. And the men of his brethren spake of him in the ears of all the men of Shechem and their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said he is our brother. So he's identifying with the people of Shechem saying, hey, I'm your flesh and your bone and your brother. And so they go to the city treasury and they take money to hire rioters, BLM, Antifa type people. And they gave him three score and 10 pieces of silver out of the house of Balbarith, wherewith Abimelech hired vain and worthless persons which followed him. And he went into his father's house at Ophrah and did violence and slew his brethren. And then the men of Shechem made Abimelech king. And so uh, Israel's republic would have ended here rather than a century later with King Saul had not someone threw a millstone over the wall and it killed Abimelech. But this idea of going in and sowing a division, Machiavelli talked about it and uh, Hegel, and I can share lots of exa examples. Well, you'll just have to come back and do that, Bill, because we're going to run out of time. And this is so important and so interesting, because if you don't know your history, you will repeat it. And that is what we are doing over and over again. I remember when I was growing up and I started working and I was in uh, working on Wall Street. And one of the fellows said to me, well, Karen, it's cyclical. Everything is a cycle. It goes up, it goes down, it, and yeah, you participate in the cycle. And I said, what if I don't want to participate? He said, then you would break the cycle. And I said, wouldn't that be a good thing? So we have to learn our history so that we can break the cycle. Bill, please tell everyone where they can find you and those wonderful history books that we need to read. Yeah, well, my website is AmericanMinute.com, AmericanMinute.com. And the book I talked about today is called Socialism, 
the real history from Plato to the present. Folks, please go to AmericanMinute.com, put in your email address and get the wonderful newsletters that Bill sends out every day that has a clip of history that will tie your history to our present. And again, I will say it again over and over again. If we do not know our history, we are going to repeat it. And we do not want to be in that downward spiral. So this is a very important election and everybody must vote. That is your job as an American. Vote. That is what is important. And let's get rid of these people who want to continue to recreate history and over and over again, just so they can rule us. Bill, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. And uh, we will have you back again because I love listening to you. I learned so much. You're listening to Karen Schoen. This is the Prism of America's Education, brought to you on the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network with my wonderful sponsor, the Florida Citizens Alliance, and my wonderful guest, Bill Federer. Thank you so much, Bill. Don't go away, folks. There is more to come. We'll be right back. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. Cold and flu season is here. Wouldn't it be great if you had a way to minimize airborne viral threats? Well, now there is, and it's a povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray called Cofix RX. You might even say it's just what the doctor ordered. To reduce your chance of getting hurt, you wear a safety belt when you're driving. To limit sun damage, you wear sunscreen on the beach. Cofix RX is just like that. It's an additional layer of protection. It's sold by thousands of pharmacists and medical doctors nationwide. It's made right here in the USA. Again, it's a povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray. You've heard them talk about it here on the Outloud Network over and over again. Check out cofixrx.com. That's C-O-F-I-X-R-X.com for a retailer near you or use coupon code OUTLOUD for 20% off at cofixrx.com. Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com, where we're healing America one person at a time. Welcome back, everyone. Hope you had a wonderful break. During the break, I had the opportunity to read an article. And based upon what Bill and I were talking about in the last segment is that how everything is repeated over and over and over again. And they're all following the same communist playbook. It doesn't matter. Playbook is always the same as Bill described, which is they start off with a way to isolate the groups 
And then they make everyone, the country financially irresponsible. Boy, that sounds very familiar, doesn't it? And then they will take an incident, a crisis, blow it up, make someone a martyr who has no right being a martyr. We talked about George Floyd. And then the people will scream as they're Cities and homes are being destroyed for the government to come in and help them. And yes, they will give up more rights. This is the playbook and it has not changed. We also have a lady in our administration. Her name is Anita Dunn. And when she was asked who her hero was, she said, oh, people would be surprised, but it was Mao. And she said that underneath Barack Obama. She's now in our administration as an advisor to the president. Isn't that exciting? Now, I believe that China has a lot more influence in America than we are failing to recognize. When that happens, we need to understand what the Chinese motivation is, what they intend to do, and what their real goal is now that they have anointed uh, Xi Jinping and given him the the uh, chairmanship for another five years. He is intending to be chairman for life. This is a real heavy-duty influence. When you own a corporation, and you want to do business with China or mostly any other communist uh, country, what happens is they you must become a partner with the government or in Chinese case with the CCP because they run the government. And they take 50% of your company and you have to provide them with all of your secrets all of your patents in order for them to accept. So you are giving up your company for money. And this is what has been going on in America for a long time. I just read an article, uh, remember PayPal's misinformation scheme? Well, it was tied and written by a Chinese contractor. PayPal in China said, when people have misinformation, there should be a way for PayPal to tell these people they're doing wrong and we're going to punish you. And therefore, they were going to take $2,500 from everyone's account. Well, of course, that went over like a lead balloon. But that has not stopped. We have so much Chinese influence in America. And it would have really been nice if it was the Chinese people's influence, because they have an incredibly beautiful, rich history, which would have been good to share. But it's not. It's the Chinese communist influence. And I like to talk to my friend who is an expert when it comes to China. She has done more research on China and Chinese influence in America than anyone that I know. Claire Lopez, thank you so much for joining me today. This is really very, very scary. And I think they're beginning to show their colors and come out of the closet and show their influence. What do you think, Claire? Well, first of all, thank you, Karen, for having me back on again. I'm always glad to join you on the program here. And I think you're getting at something very important. And I, I want the listeners to understand that this is not just something at the foreign policy level, something over there. It affects Americans in our own communities, wherever we may live across this great country of ours. And that's why it's important to pay attention to this. So when you talk about first understanding what the motivations are of the Chinese Communist Party that rules China, 
And yes, uh, party chairman Xi Jinping uh, has just gotten his unprecedented, not illegal, but unprecedented third year, uh, third time, five year vote of, of, as, as party chairman. Um, but to understand the motivations of the Chinese Communist Party, I think it's important to take a look at what some experts have said and written uh, the people that I follow, certainly Gordon Chang is, is paramount among all of these. Um, also, I would say Michael Pillsbury has written a, uh, a, an important, uh, excellent book called The 100-Year Marathon. That explains uh, the Chinese Communist Party's commitment to overtaking the United States as the leading world power, as the Ba, the hegemon of the world. Um, in the 100-year span that goes from 1949, when Mao Zedong uh, took over China, to 2049, that 100 years. Michael Pillsbury is at the Hudson uh, Institute. Uh, very important there. Many others. Retired General Robert Spaulding is also excellent, with at least a couple of books out about China. Uh, but I would also point you in the direction of Peter Schweitzer and his 2021, I think it was, book uh, called Red Handed is an important look and really readable, very, very uh, easy to read, not, not a turgid academic uh, tome by any means. But he divides his book uh, into chapters about each kind of sector of society in America. So there'd be uh, a chapter on Chinese penetration, co-option of our government, at every level, our elected officials, of academia, of entertainment, like Hollywood, movies, and so forth, of the media. Let me stop for a moment on the media and recommend another good source, and that is Rahim Kassam's National Pulse, and in particular, their very excellent reporter-writer, Natalie Winters. And over the last couple of years, um, beginning, I think, late 2020 into 2021, at the National Pulse, they published several articles that list in specific detail those media outlets, either the print media, you know, Washington Post, the New York Times, and so forth, or TV channels and, and cable TV channels, all of them, or also social media, uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, uh, TikTok, obviously. And at the National Pulse in these articles, they described how the Chinese operated to co-opt these media outlets of ours. And what they did is invited the top people, let's say they were the writers, the journalists, the publishers, the editors, what have you, um, at the top of all of these different media outlets, invited them on an all expense paid trip to China where they had wonderful Chinese food and they got to see the Great Wall and maybe they attended some cultural presentations uh, at the theater, dance theater, and so on. Beautiful, beautiful. This is the culture of the Chinese people and it's beautiful. That's all they got to see. They didn't go to any Uyghur concentration camps. Uh, they didn't go to any clinics where the organs of Falun Gong members were being harvested while they were still alive. They, they didn't go to see any of that. They come home and they're co-opted. And what do they do? They write uh, in glowing terms and nothing ever critical about China, but especially not about the Chinese Communist Party. So that's, that's where I would start to lay the foundation for, for what we're talking about here, Karen. And, 
and some recommendations for our listeners um, that they can look up for themselves. Oh, I, I think that is fabulous because I, I really don't believe that people understand the depth of this Chinese influence. And you're absolutely right. Their culture, it was magnificent. It was incredible. What they did throughout the years were incredible. But of course, what is never mentioned is the forced famine, the fact that Mao killed 60 million people, uh, Tiananmen Square. They forget all of those things as they are filtering money. I heard, Claire, that the Chinese Communist Party is also funding massively much of our green movement. Is that? Well, sure. Sure. Because think about it. What what does the green movement in this country push? Uh, electric vehicles, windmills, and solar panels to the detriment of fossil fuels, which we have hundreds and hundreds of years of supply of coal, oil, and natural gas uh, lying under the ground that could power us and our friends and help our allies in Europe as well. Uh, but we're not allowed to touch any of that. And so the components for windmill blades and windmill components uh, to build a windmill, the solar panels, where are they made? Where, where do those components come from? Oh, China. Where do the components come from for some of these, I don't know what it is, 5,000 pound batteries that go into these useless electric vehicles? Where, where do those rare earth elements come from? Once again, here in North America, we, Canada, we have tons of rare earth elements. We have these natural resources on our land, but we're not allowed to, we, the industry is not allowed to dig for them or to refine them. Green movement again. And so where do those components come from? Things like cobalt and lithium that go into those humongous batteries that you know go into these, these ridiculous electric vehicles. Well, they come from mines around the world uh, in particular in West Africa, places like Sierra Leone, for example, where we've seen these horrible pictures and videos of these little kids, nine and 10 year old little boys, barefoot, digging in these mines, working, I don't know how many hours a day, probably for little to no pay and hardly any food. And those mines owned by China, the Chinese Communist Party. Another place that rare earth elements uh, are coming under the control of the Chinese regime in Beijing, that place is Afghanistan. They have a lot of rare earth elements there. And the Taliban and China are getting along rather famously after the United States fled in such disarray about a year ago, a little more than a year ago. So yes, the beneficiary of the green movement financially, massively financially, is and, and would be the Chinese Communist Party. Not America, not, not American uh, industry, mining uh, and, and refining capabilities. No, China. There's a, there's a reason for that. Go see Peter Schweitzer's book again, Red Handed. You are absolutely right. And you brought up a very, very interesting point that led me to believe something else too. We have all of these minerals, we have all the fossil fuels, we have everything that could make America, American, self-sufficient, sovereign for eons to come. 
And yet the green movement is saying that we can't use them. Now we have China buying land. What do you think will happen after China owns and controls massive quantities of land in America well, on top first, of all these minerals? Yeah, no. Well, the first thing to understand is that in, in actual acreage terms, the amount of land that China so far has purchased in the United States is minuscule. It's teeny tiny. The number one, uh, the very top uh, owners, purchasers of land in the United States are Canada, Britain, and other European countries. So it's not the amount of acreage that China has purchased. It's teeny tiny. It's by comparison, it's, it's minuscule to what others uh, and more friendly um, cover, uh, co countries and governments have bought. It, it's teeny tiny. The concern, however, is no, they're not, they're not purchasing mining land, but what they are purchasing, it seems, is land that seems to be often located in rather close proximity to some of our military bases. Ooh. The other thing uh, that's of note here is that there is a lot of America in rural areas that, that is poorly served in terms of connectivity for cell phones, uh, for internet. And what's been happening is that China and its companies like Huawei and ZTE uh, have come into these communities nearby, these rural areas, and said, hey, you know, we, we know that you, you need better connectivity. We'll help you out. And they have agreed because what are they going to do? So Huawei builds up these cell phone and uh, internet, you know, these communications towers out in rural areas, brings them the service that, that they badly need. But think about it. Those towers, those communications towers have to be serviced every now and then. They have to have updates. They have to have patches sometimes for things that, you know, may go wrong. And how is that done? That's done remotely. It's done by direct connectivity back to mainland China. Whoa. So, so that, that is a problem, but I will say That this. is a big problem. Yeah. Elon Musk, I mean, that, that guy seems to be everywhere uh, and he is brilliant. He has offered and is entering this market in these rural areas of America and offered to uh, team up with T-Mobile, which happens to be my own cell phone company, uh, to team up with T-Mobile to provide phone services. This now would be cell phone service to customers in these underserved areas. It should begin with texting capability next year, 2023, to be followed after that by call capability, you know, phone call capability. Text will come first and phone call after that. And he's going to do that by connecting T-Mobile communications directly with his Starlink network of satellites that he's got, you know, thousands of, of satellites up there in a network circling the globe. And uh, it will be by direct satellite connection that folks in these areas will get connectivity. And that will help to compete with and hopefully at a better rate and a more reliable and secure, you know, situation than with Huawei. And that is one reason also the competition is something that the Chinese will never tolerate. So this is 
are very, very important. And thank you very much, Elon, for doing what you're doing. Although he's connected in China. So how do we know that this is not just going to be another Chinese takeover stealthily like they are doing? Because isn't Elon, doesn't his company work in China as well? Yes, his his Tesla electric vehicle company has a presence uh, in China. That is true. I'm not sure how smoothly all of that is going right now, by the way. So keep an eye on that relationship. But this uh, venture of Elon Musk to provide a teaming with T-Mobile to to get connectivity, internet, well, to begin with phone service, cell phone service for Americans in rural areas, that is separate uh, and, and would directly connect those would-be customers via the satellites, Elon Musk's own satellites that he owns and controls in space. That would be wonderful. So go, Elon, go. We need you up there. Um, Also, you mentioned the influence of groups like TikTok that are controlled by communist China and the influence that they have in our cancel culture, because a lot of the things that we are experiencing, cancel culture, the uh, social credits, they are all coming from directly from communist China. And here they are plopped at our feet. And the good news is, it seems as though Americans have decided to wake up as Trump created Truth Social, and they now have Getter, and I see that uh, Cayenne West is... uh, Caution with Getter. Okay, caution with Getter. Okay, I'm not... funding Miles Guo, a foundation, a family foundation of Miles Guo, whose own connections to China are at best, one might say, murky. Oh, well then be careful with Getter, folks. Okay, so be careful with that one. But the good news is there are more and more conservative platforms cropping up that will give competition to the communist Chinese. And we have to fight back. We have to say, no, I'm not going to cancel that person. No, I'm not going to believe that there are 57 genders and you know, 45 different pronouns. <laughs> I have no idea how they come up with all of these things, but it's insane. And if we think that militarily our uh, military is ready and going to be armed to uh, to support and to protect America, forget that one, folks, because they'll be out there yelling pronouns while the other guys are going to be shooting guns. And all of this murkiness is coming from influence from China. Well, a lot of it is. Not I won't all, say all. But, but, but a lot of a it lot. is. And what I will say is that China interferes in American society, in American elections, not necessarily the way people think, by hacking into some uh, election machinery and, and changing the votes on the night of the election and you know, changing the tabulation numbers of vote. That's not what they're doing. But what they are doing is playing a long game. And the long game has at least a couple of parts. One of those parts is just as you were talking about there, Karen, is influence operations, propaganda. And that is spread through their uh, various media outlets, just as you say, um, including social media outlets like MeWe and TikTok, for example, and our media, as we discussed earlier, where they have access 
now, foot in the door at least. But the other way that they're doing this uh, is is, uh, through data collection. And again, this is a long game. This is not about 2020, 2022, or 2024 per se. The Chinese Communist Party and their intelligence apparatus act as a great big Hoover vacuum cleaner. And worldwide, they are scooping up massive, massive quantities of personal identifying information. And an example of this, uh, we just saw um, with the news about a month ago in September, 2022 here, uh, that the CEO of a major IT software company called Konech, K-O-N-N-E-C-H, the CEO's name, uh, Eugene Yu, Y-U, was arrested in uh, or near Lansing, Michigan, again, around a month ago, uh, as it appears he may have been on his way to the airport with bags packed and to flee the country. Now, interestingly, you was arrested on an arrest warrant out of Los Angeles County. And that's a surprise. Attorney General of Los Angeles County, Gascon, uh, George Gascon, issued that arrest warrant for Eugene Yu because he is under suspicion and charged with basically placing enormous amounts of U.S. election worker data on servers in China. The Kanech company has been contracted with by counties all over America. I don't even know how many, 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 to manage their poll worker staff to manage uh, staffing, uh, staff scheduling, staff payroll, things like that. That's what they do, did. According to the contracts with each of these United States counties, Kanech was under contract to ensure that all of that personally identifying information would be kept on servers only, exclusively in the United States and with accessibility only for U.S. citizens and U.S. nationals. The arrest warrant, again, is on charges that you allowed that information, uh, placed that information on servers located in China. So you see what I'm saying? This wasn't about, um, you know, hacking into some, you know, um, election uh, equipment or altering votes or something like, that's what people think, but it's not. It's a longer game than that. It's scooping up all of this kind of information and sending it to great big data server farms in China, where at the moment of development in China of artificial intelligence and uh, quantum computing, they're not even able to exploit it all, but they're saving it for when their AI and quantum computing skills and capabilities uh, expand to the point that they will be able to exploit that information. That's and, another example for you. And folks, what they will do with that information is turn it into propaganda and use it against you because that's what their goal is. In addition, 
to replacing us with AI and robots and all good things because remember the earth is overpopulated and there's too many people that live here. So we have to depopulate the planet any way we can. That's what they believe. That's what they say all the time. Claire, unfortunately, we're out of time. So I'm going to have to have you come back because this is so interesting and I hope you will. Uh, This is so important that we understand the influence of worldwide countries on Americans because you can't be isolated without paying attention to what's going on in the rest of the world. And if we don't know what's going on, then we're we are ill-prepared and have no way to combat any uh, thing that may arise. So please tell everyone where they can find you. We'll go from there and have you back again. Hopefully, yes. Me, Karen. Thank Good. you so much. Um, again, I, I just want to add one last bit here, and that is that, folks, you American patriots, we American patriots at the local level, this can be addressed and challenged at the local level with your local level elections. You don't have to think that this is just something up on Capitol Hill with Congress or national security leadership. It's not. So please uh, have a look at um, my, uh, my interviews, my, my videos, uh, interviews like this one at uh, the Citizens Commission on National Security, the United West. Uh, you can take a look at... Um, defendtheborder.org, Sarja Sangari's Near East Center for um, Strategic Engagement, and on social media. So I'm on Twitter at Claire M. Lopez. On Facebook, my name as well. I'm on Truth Social at Claire Cho, C-L-A-R-E-C-H-O. And I'm on Signal at Lopez Liberty. So thank you very much. Well, you are certainly have given us enough ways for people to become informed. And remember, folks, the only way to stop a cycle from happening and going in just because we are going in a downward spiral does not mean we have to stay there. We have to do our due diligence. We have to vote. We must make sure that we get rid of these people. And when we get a new crop of legislators, we must watch them. That's our job. It is not to go to sleep after an election. Thank you so much, Claire, for joining me. You are all listening to the Prism of America's Education brought to you on the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network with my wonderful sponsor, the Florida City. Citizens Alliance. Have a wonderful week, folks. And many of you will be going into early voting. It doesn't matter how you vote as long as your vote gets to the right place. Don't leave them in drop boxes. Go to your supervisor of elections if you're early voting and drop them off. Make sure they get there. Do not leave your this election in the hands of someone else. This is an election for America and Americans. And if we want our country back, the only way to do it is to do it. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you again next week. But I'll always stand proud and free. I'm America, don't tread on me.